0: Two seconds with now all the way outside the Watford. Three on the way. Oh!
1: What's up, everybody? This is Will, and I'm the host of Blue Buds Hoops, a brand new college basketball podcast. I'm joined again today with my dad and co-host, Coach Chris Brown, who actually made it on time today. No afternoon uh, adventure for him this week, um, although he did have a an eventful trip to the phone store, I guess, to get his phone fixed. So he has been somewhere, but still here on time. Coach, dad, Happy to have
0: you. Yeah, glad glad to be here on on time today, and uh, looking forward to podcast number two with uh, former University of Louisville Cardinal Bryant Northern, uh, who we've known for quite a long time, and uh, really excited to have him on on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, as uh, as my dad just said, we've known Bryant for a long time. He played for the Louisville Cardinals from 2001 to 2003 um we're very excited to talk with him again and uh i hope all the listeners that you know check this episode out enjoy this one as well
0: right and and i mean what an opportunity i can't wait to ask him playing for two hall of fame coaches uh and in, in denny Crum, coach denny Crum, and then rick patino of course uh at the latter part of his uh, college career so that's gonna be in- interesting to hear his take on those and i'm sure some stories are going to come along with that as well
1: yeah i'm excited to see what brian has to say it'll be good to catch up um so without further ado you know let's let's hear from brian all right what's up everybody this is will i'm with blue buds hoops podcast uh today we're back with our second episode and we have with us uh, another very special guest uh this is somebody that my dad and i have known for a long time now we're very happy to have him uh with us today we have brian northern uh, he's a former university of louisville cardinal brian how you doing today i'm doing great how you guys doing doing well doing good doing good
0: Glad to have you here, Brian. Thank you, coach, I appreciate you.
1: Brian, jumping into it, you know, we have a lot of questions for you today, obviously, we want you to tell your story. We want you to, you know, just talk about your experiences through basketball and through life with us today. But one thing that we're doing on the podcast is every guest, we want to get their opinion on something um, that a lot of people have an opinion about, and that is who the greatest basketball player of all time is. So last week, Actually, you know what, I won't tell you what we talked about last week because I don't want to throw any bias, so I just want your opinion. Only two options, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Who is the greatest of all time and why?
2: I want to say Michael Jordan. In my heart, I'm a Michael Jordan fan, and I want to go with Michael Jordan. Uh, I love what Jordan stood for in terms of he, never, he didn't sit games. There was no load management. When you came to a Bulls game, he gave you Michael Jordan. He, he didn't want to miss games because he felt like people paid a premium price to see him and he wanted to give them that and perform for them. I think <clears throat> staying for one team undefeated in the NBA championships, um, being an all-defensive guy, I feel like there's so many things that solidifies his legacy. I think LeBron James is just as talented, maybe even more talented than Jordan. But I think the fact that he switched teams, they, he, you know they started this whole super team thing, the flopping thing with LeBron. Um, all this other stuff. I Jordan's my guy. And I think LeBron is obviously second. And I think that you can make a great case for him, but for me, in my heart, I'm a Jordan guy.
1: (laughs) Cha-ching. Hey man, you can't go wrong with that. Um, what I was going to say was last week on the first episode, we had Maurice Creek on here from Indiana. He's a former Hoosier. He went with MJ also. Um, so that's two Oh for Michael Jordan. Um, actually on a side note, um, on our other podcast, um, the All Pacers pod, Jack, our, my cousin Jack, he had Earl Calloway on there, former Indiana Hoosier, too. He went with MJ. Nice. So that's 3-0 Michael Jordan. Um, we got to get some. Well,
2: I think LeBron is so talented, man. I think he. I think he's a better passer than Jordan. I think that um, he's more athletic than Jordan. I think he's got size and body, and he can do some things that Jordan couldn't. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, when you have a losing record in the finals, I think overall, I mean, LeBron is kind of known for flopping, being soft. There's a lot of things I think that we, when we think about LeBron, missing games, he can't be my goat. He can't be my goat with that stuff hanging over
0: his head. That's not my goat.
1: Well, yeah. hey man, I can't argue with it. That was a good, a good analytical. Yeah, that was good. So. Hey,
0: you defended it well. That was good. You had good yeah. reasoning behind it. So, um, my my question for you is, and this we talk about this stuff all the time. And back when. You, uh, you know, you and I were coaching together. We talked about this stuff all the time. And uh, who's your five top cards, position by position, in your mind? Who, who can you come up with?
2: Point guard wise, I was a huge Dewan Wheat fan. I thought he was silky smooth. He had a great jump shot, um, very poised, very athletic. If I had to have a 1B, I would go with a, a Russ Smith. Um, mm-hmm. A little erratic, great scorer, great defender. But I just think Dewan Wheat had there was something about him, man. I even wore his number in middle school because I wanted to be Dewan Wheat. Shooting guard, man, that's really tough. I'm probably gonna go. I want to say like a Milt Wagner, but I didn't. I'm too. I'm not old enough to really appreciate what he did in that time. All I've seen is highlights. I'm gonna go with Reese Gaines. Mm-hmm. He's a teammate of mine. He was a top 15 pick to the Orlando Magic. Um, he was a Player of the Year candidate. He's done a lot of great things at U When you talk small forward, <clears throat> man, that's really tough. I'm probably gonna go with. I'm probably gonna go with Francisco Garcia, another teammate of mine. I'm very biased when it comes to this. Francisco, he didn't even play his uh, his senior year. He's played three years. He battled some injuries, mm-hmm. but I think he had a ton of talent. He played 12 years in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I think my honorable mention at that position would probably be a T. Will. Um, although I know that he's not very popular right now, he did a lot of things at U that we hadn't seen in years. His, his athleticism and his skill was really different from what we had seen. Um, he was a lottery pick, obviously. Power forward for me at U Oh man, I'm a I kind of like I kind of like Montrezl Harrell there. I like Montrezl Harrell. I think that what you see now in the NBA. Um, he wanted, he was on the national championship team. I love, and I'm picking a lot of the younger guys. So no hate to my, you know, uh, (laughs) unsells and the guys, you know, Samaki Walker and Clifford Rozier. Cause I would, I could easily probably go with Clifford Rozier, but I I just love Montrose Harrell's energy. I love his athleticism. I love his toughness. And then probably at center, um, man, that's tough. I could, I I could go Felton Spencer or Gorgie Ding there, um, those guys I think when you just talk about Felton Spencer's a legend, played in the NBA. Um Gorgie Ding is still currently in the NBA. Once again also in the championship team. He was the defensive anchor probably, yeah, I could say uh him or Samaki or um I don't think you yeah, go I would say him. one of those purpose. What, guys about purvis? what do you think same. purvis fits in there? I I want for me, like right now if you talk about Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete and Bob Cousy – I, I don't. I've never seen those guys play a game. I've seen highlights. I've heard stories. I've heard the legend. I've heard the myths. But if you haven't, if you're not old enough to really witness that, how do you make a great assessment? Just like people like Will, you're you're 25. You were really too young to watch Michael Jordan. You can see videos. You can watch highlights. But unless you saw it in real time, there's a level of appreciation you probably can't have. Oh, I get that. Versus just- someone who saw it. I can't say speak on Purvis and Milt Wagner and a lot of those guys. Because all I've seen is their stats, I've seen their banners, I've seen, you know, uh, I've seen highlights, but I just wasn't old enough to really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you don't see it yourself, then it's hard hard to have have an an opinion, I guess. Oh, yeah. And if you 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 ask
0: the older guys, even older than me, I'm 49 and hanging uh, and uh, I'll talk to older people and they're talking about generations of, you know, 60s players, the best centers in the NBA, you know, and they're talking about. Guys that are not even equivalent to Shaq, like, you know, and, and not that Bob Russell, you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, some of these guys, the great ones back in the day, but I, when you look at Hakeem Olajuwon and the ones throughout the 80s, that's who I gained an appreciation for because I, I watched them, and exactly. and, so, and so there is a lot of that. And but I, it's funny you said those because I had three, three of those guys down that I thought you might say, and, and you actually played with them, but they were phenomenal players, and I mean, and uh. Two of those went on to play in the NBA, so that's that's a great list, great list.
1: Yeah, man, I I I would agree with a lot of those. Um, one that I like that you didn't have, who and maybe it's because just what you talked about, somebody I saw, somebody I kind of you know enjoyed watching as a player was uh, Edgar Sosa. I loved him at Louisville.
2: I played I against Edgar. I couldn't guard him. That dude was really really good. <laughs> I think if he doesn't mess his knee up, if he doesn't have the injuries, he's an NBA
1: player. I just remember the game winner against Kentucky. I don't remember which year it was for him. Maybe a sophomore or junior year, I don't know. But, man, once, once I saw that, I was like, all right, this is this dude's for real. He was so good, so fun to watch. But yeah. that was a good list, good on, a good honest um, you know, opinion on it. So thank you for that, B. Appreciate that. We'll definitely let our Louisville fans, our Louisville listeners know that. Um, but now let's get to you. Um, and we'll get into your days at Louisville, obviously. Um, but let's go back to even before that, the, the young Brian Norther coming from Jeffersonville, Indiana. Um, and I guess I should have let you kind of talk about that, but you went to Jeffersonville high school. Um, what was your experience like in high school? You know, did you guys have a lot of success as a team? And I was
2: a three-year starter in high school. Um, I came after the Sharon Wilkerson era. He was a Mr. Basketball McDonald's All-American in the early nineties. Jeffersonville had made some final four runs, won a state title. Our high school coach was the winningest coach in the 90s. He had the most wins and the highest winning percentage of any coach in the decade. So there was a lot of prestige. It was, it was a great time to be a Red Devil. Um, there was a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure to perform. But I was actually the second best player on my team. I was kind of the pip. We had a five-star recruit by the name of Dennis Kutte, a six guard who, I mean, Bobby Knight came to our game. Steve Alford came to our open gyms. Tubby Smith sent some handwritten letters, North Carolina. And he was a high major recruit, and I was kind of the point guard who got him the ball, and I was our second-best player. So I wasn't the star. I wasn't the big-time recruit. I was kind of the guy under the radar who did all the little things that maybe got unnoticed or unseen. We did make one Final Four my senior year. So um, we lost to Jared Jeffries and Sean May. They were both on the same high school team. Sean May was a sophomore. Jerry yeah, was a North. senior. They were they were undefeated. So yeah, we Blumenthal had two North, wasn't it? Bloomington North. Yeah. They were undefeated, and we had two losses. I think we were like twenty three and two, and they were like twenty three and zero. And um, we had them down at halftime. They had never been down at halftime all season. We had them down six, and we were. It was a tie game with about fifteen seconds. They scored with about five or six seconds left. And I had a final shot to win it, and we missed. And believe it or not, that team didn't even win the state title. They lost in the state championship game to Zach Randolph. Mm-hmm. So even if we had beat them, we would have had to go against Zach Randolph, which we probably would have lost that game.
1: Wow, that sounds like a loaded tournament. That, that was team. one of the better ones
0: ever, I remember, it,
1: talent-wise. Yeah, so you're all's team, Jared Jeffries, Bloomington North, and Zach Randolph. Where was Zach Randolph at? Zach was at Marion. Yeah. Okay. And at he Marion. went up to uh,
0: Michigan State.
1: Okay. Okay. Um And I think, you know, and you and I have talked about um, your high school career before and whatnot. I think you had mentioned before that you played AAU with some of those guys one year. Was that right? So
2: me and Zach were AAU uh, teammates and roommates. Uh, I remember Izzo would call all summer long. Zach would lie and be like, hey, tell coach I'm not here. I don't want to talk. So I would have to answer the phone and tell coach Izzo that he wasn't there, but he would be sitting right beside me. And I couldn't believe that he didn't want to talk to him. But he was like, man, these guys call me every day. I just want a break. I just want a little bit of breathing room. But, yeah, it was pretty cool being Zach Randolph's teammate. Yeah, That's
0: great.
1: <laughs> so, out of all – out of your you, – did you play four years and on the varsity team or did you just start three? How, how was it? You played all oh, four? You no, four.
2: I I actually played freshman and JV as a freshman. I okay. was a knucklehead as a freshman. So, we had a no-earring policy, um, and I would wear earrings outside of – a practice and the coaches would catch me and I would you know they'd be like this is why you're not playing JV you know we couldn't wear a t-shirt under our jerseys we couldn't wear ankle socks we couldn't have our ears pierced it was a it was really really strict and I kind of broke the rules and bended them a little bit with that stuff and uh coach you know his way of punishing me was you're just going to play freshman ball but I got to play a couple JV games and but by the time my sophomore year I matured up and I said basketball is more important than any of that stuff so at that point I became a, a starter.
1: So out of your three years playing varsity then, what was your best memory, I guess, as a Red Devil?
2: Best memory as a Red Devil. I, I love winning, man. So I'm not the type of person to say, oh, I had this many points or this or that. I do remember we played Providence my senior year, and the Coach, coach Broughton pulled me to the side and said, hey, we're going to win, and we're going to win by a lot. Last time we played in a game like this, Sharon had 19 assists. He goes, I think you could break that record. And I took that as a challenge because I, I held Sharon to this – pedestal you know he was the, the biggest Jeff Hall player and since Mike Flynn I wanted to be as good as him or better than him so I said you know what I'm gonna break his record so we ended up beating Providence by 50 I think we ended up with like 15 dunks and I ended up with 14 assists so I ended up being five shot but that was my goal I thought I was very proud of the fact that you know I got my teammates involved but that for me as an individual accolade I love that you know that I was able to do that and get other players involved I fed off that but making the final four my senior year was probably my best memory as a team. But the Providence game when I had 14 assists was probably the most special uh, statistical thing for me.
0: So wow. I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, I went, I went back to Jeff game one time and uh, I saw, I saw some of the, the stat leaders and stuff. And uh, I was, I was shocked. And as a coach, I was, I was kind of taken aback by, it. but who in the world did you make mad that made the programs? Cause you, it had most turnovers in the game and it had your name on it <laughs> one time. I was like, why are they put why they put hey, Jeff Ha? Yes. I was How like, many was it? It was seven seven maybe? I don't remember. It wasn't I mean it wasn't outlandish, but I was like, Why would that be on there as a record?
2: <laughs> you know what that hurts my feelings. All those knucklehead point guards they've had, they've never had nobody have more than hey. seven times. <laughs>
1: Hey, if if it was I just wanna say I just wanna say if it was seven turnovers, his highest game assist wise was fourteen. 14-7, to 7, that's a solid hey, turnover yeah, ratio. Yeah, you're still so. 2.0. You, you, there we you go. can have it. <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's funny.
2: Jeez, seven turnovers in high school. That's a ton. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I mean, if we hit double digits as a team, I'm, like, freaking out. Hey,
2: I'm going to blame the coaches. They should have taken me out at five. There you go. I should have <laughs> never been in Why the league in? seven turnovers. <laughs> so, Coach Broaden, you should have taken me out, man. You should have taken me out at the five turnover mark. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's funny. All right, so obviously we know after high school, you, you play at the University of Louisville. But before you get there, did you have any other like offers? So of-
2: I, I was a low to mid-major prospect. Um, Moorhead State was my best offer. I had Maine University. Believe it or not, we played in Nationals. We were in the Disney Complex, and I came off the bench for that AAU team. And I remember I had six points one game, but four of my points were dunks. Fast break dunks. I would just, you know, jump up and tear the rim off. And I got an offer after the game. Coach came up to uh, my coach, who was Pat Mullins at the time. They made an offer. And I was like, Coach, I only had six points. He's like, they don't care. They love your body. you got big arms. You can jump. They like your athleticism. And I was like, Maine? I've never heard of Maine. What division is that? He's like, Brian, right, it's Division One. Huggy Dive from Ben Davis went there. You should, You should go. It's beautiful up there. And I'm like, Coach, it's too far. I'm not going to Maine. Central Florida, and this is before Central Florida was Central Florida. I had never heard of Central Florida. I thought it was D2. I got an offer from Central Florida in Nationals. Once again, I was like, Coach, I've never heard of Central Florida. What level is that? He's like, Fine, it's Division I. Boston University offered me. And that I remember the coach who offered me had never seen me play in person. He had only seen a tape. And I said, Coach, you've never seen me play in person. Don't you want to come see me play in person? He goes, no, I've seen a tape. He goes, I, I like what you can do. And I went to Coach Broughton, and I said, Coach, I like Boston University. At first, I got excited because I thought it was Boston College. And Coach was like, no, 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 no. This is Boston University, not Boston College. So he was like, hey, I just want to let you know, last year they were 5-26. and 26. He goes, so you're used to winning. I don't know if you'll be happy there because they don't win there. He goes, I think that would be a bad move for you. He goes, you'll be miserable losing. So I was like, no. And Coach Kyle Macy was the head coach of Moorhead. They did a home visit. I visited there. You know, they they kind of sold me everything. I could play all four years, have a chance to start as a freshman. And the day I was supposed to sign, the day I was supposed to sign, um, I had spoke to Robbie Valentine. I had spoke to Scotty Davenport. And they were both like, you need to walk on a Louisville. You need to come here. You know, they love B.J. Flynn. They love Quentin Bailey. As a walk-on, the fans will love you. You can play here. And I just believed it. Something in me said, you know what? I need to skip Moorhead State and walk on to UofL. And that was kind of how I ended up there.
1: Whenever you started, was Patino already
2: there? No, I, my first year was Coach Crum, so um, I was. One, there was only four of us, maybe five, that played for both. So it's a very, very small group that got to play for Coach Crum and Coach Patino. So, I, and I was one of the, that group. Um, Ellis Miles, Luke Whitehead, um, who else was in that freshman class? Um, yeah, it was. A, it was a real small. Raji Muhammad. No, uh Haji Mohammed, his first year was when Coach Patino got there. Oh, so he came in as a
0: sophomore. Yeah.
2: Yes. So it was a it was a very limited group. I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head who else was uh Hodge Turner. Uh, you guys probably don't remember him. He didn't play much, but it was really a small it was, group. It, it was like four yeah, or five. Mohammed uh, Lashagay, he Lashage. he never he never got eligible. He had played some pro ball in Africa and there was some discrepancies if he was taking money or not, and the
0: NCAA ruled him ineligible. Oh, so they never got to play for pretend. Brad Morgan. He was at, uh, he was a high school standout here in Louisville. He was there that, then he walked, he walked on. We had five
2: walk-ons. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel a little deceived when they recruit you as a walk-on, they make you think you're the only walk-on and that you're going to play. And it's all about you. And you're just as good as the scholarship guys. And then when you get there and there's like five other walk-ons, you're like, Whoa, I didn't know there was all these other yeah. guys. You had nine, you nine, nine
0: freshmen your freshman year. Say nine, that again? You had nine freshmen. Your yeah. yeah. It, it was a ton.
2: It was yeah, a ton. we had like five walk-ons. Mike Flynn uh, Jr., Brad Morgan. I mean, there was a bunch of guys trying to walk on. Bo, Bo Green. Bo, Bo actually ended up Division One. He ended up, I think, at Samford. He was a really, really good shooter and a worker.
1: Yeah. So what was that like playing for – I know you played for Patino mostly, but what was that like playing for Coach Crumb? that first year we were
2: 12 and 19 so I would compare us to this year's Louisville team all of the people talking about we were terrible we were we couldn't play a lot of losing a lot of blowouts we won 12 games my freshman year I couldn't give a ticket away so every game you get four tickets that you can give away to family or friends and I would invite friends or family and they would turn the tickets away no man I got something else going on no not today man I appreciate y'all for me but we were bad (laughs) st louis beat us by 20 date university of dayton blew us out western kentucky beat us at our own home court i mean we were the laughing stock of division one i mean we were bad love coach to death but we i mean we were playing ellis miles at six seven at center luke whitehead at six six at power forward we were small um it was it was bad man
0: well then your sophomore year rolls around patino takes over how did that transition go what was the first meeting you had with him and how did that kind
2: the, the of? I remember the
0: Patino rumor started, and
2: I thought, no way. Coach Patino would never coach at Louisville. He was at Kentucky. Like, you know, Kentucky, they hate Louisville. It doesn't make sense. And the next thing you know, it makes the news. We have a meeting, and we're all sitting in a board. We go to the press conference. Um, it was mandatory. We, go, we have to meet in this back room where we had the press conference. And he comes and shakes everybody's hand, and he goes, hey, guys, we're going to start working tomorrow. I hadn't touched the ball in like a week or two. And I remember I agreed to the 8 a.m. session, and I about passed out in the session. I was so out of shape. And it was the hardest workout i have ever done in my life. I just kept thinking I was going to die.
0: <laughs> and you know what? That's what he's known for. He's known for that. I mean, those grueling things, even in prepping late in the year, for, you know, March Madness. I mean, he's you, you've told me how many stories we've talked about and crazy stuff about how hard those workouts were, two-a-days, and, on you know, workout and practice on game day, and, and then you go play a game at night. It's just, I guess you found out real quick how hard it was going to be. Yeah, we, but you know,
2: the, here's the interesting thing that I thought was interesting. So when I played for coach Crum, we flew commercial. So we would fly Delta. So we would have to go to an airport, go through security. You would sit next to regular civilians on the, on the airplane. And when coach Patino came, he redid the locker room. We got a private plane. So when you would fly, it would just be your team, you know, the stewardess and the, and whatnot, they all, uh, you know, check on your accommodations. They serve you steak and chicken. You got your own road to yourself. And we ate at different restaurants and we traveled different. And it was everything was like first class. So that felt like, okay, we were worked really hard and we were pushed to our limits, but I felt like the reward was worth it. But <clears throat> I think the hardest thing, the biggest difference was the intensity, the language, the, the, the toughness, how hard everything was. It was just a whole different, I mean, it was night and
1: day. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what the difference was with like practices and really just everything when it came to coach Crum and coach Patino, like was it, how, how intense was it with coach Patino? Because he's known for that high intensity, you know, I,
2: I had coach Crum at the end of his career. I bet if I had him 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, it would have been different, but I think he was ready to retire. He was getting older. So it was a very relaxed coach Crum. believe it or not, coach Davenport ran our practices. He conducted the drills he did a lot of the talking. He did a lot of the coaching. I mean, 80% of everything was ran by Coach Davenport, believe it or not. So when I see his success at Bellarmine, I'm not shocked because he's kind of had uh, the reins and been a guy in charge and a very a mastermind behind a lot of things. But Coach cron was very quiet. He had more of a docile approach. Um, he We still ran the UCLA offense. He was very old school. Guys could come in late to practice. Uh, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, guys were coming in drunk to practice. There was a lot of stuff that went on that when Coach Patino got there, you had to be 30 minutes early or you were late. Hmm. You couldn't, if practice was at three, you couldn't come at 257. Well, what happened if you were late 30. at that practice? I was late one time and they ran me three miles every morning for about four days in a row to the point I couldn't walk. And they were trying to prove a point. And yeah. after that, I was never late again.
0: Yeah, yeah. You'll learn the hard way. That, that, that's a good teacher. But you talked about Scotty Davenport. So I want to bring that up. How, how cool is it? Because I've been to a lot of games in Freedom Hall where you played. How cool is it that Bellarmine has moved their home games to Freedom Hall now?
2: Well, this is Scotty Davenport. You know, I I think if he was 10 years younger, a mid or high major would scoop him up.
0: Yeah, I I Um,
2: He has to be in his late 60s. But I bet you if he was 10 years younger, he would be in the ACC or the Big Ten. I mean, he's one of the best out there to do it. He's coached under Crum. He, He was there with Patino. And you can tell that he's taken a combination of all the knowledge that he had. I mean, at Ballard, he won a state championship. He had Dewan, he had Allen Houston. He coached Dewan Wheat. I mean, he's just been around a lot of great players, a lot of great coaches, and it's so fun to see him have success. All the coaches that I've got, I've had a chance to. to um, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall has had some success, and Mick Cronin, who's now at UCLA, he was my favorite coach at U of Coach Davenport is just absolutely killing it at Bellerman. And it's just kind of cool because you're like you know those guys, coached me. Those guys. Well,
0: think of it. Crum, Crum was a protege of John Wooden. I mean, that's what I'm getting at earlier. I mean, the, the the amount of stuff that he learned him. That's what he would say. It was like he was a big time. You know, Wooden wasn't a big game uh, decision maker. He was a practice coach, and and but and Coach Crum would do a lot of the practices and stuff like that. I mean, uh, as well. But he game situation. He was the one that did all the prep work. So Coach Crum. Knew how to do, you know, all that kind of stuff as well, and and, and but it's just
2: news. all fairness though. They did have Kareem or Lou Alcinder <laughs> and
0: Bill Walton. I mean, they did have the best players. They they were loaded. I mean, everybody that was anybody went there. You're right. Yes, and uh, yeah, and he, and he talked about seeing uh, you know, some of the great ones in Louisville, and that's what Cr- Coach Crum was really known for was getting the best out of the Louisville area to come to Louisville, and uh, Doctor Dunkenstein, you know, uh, getting him to come was amazing saw him down there at the dirt bowl and and uh just seeing some of the guys that they came through and and uh it's amazing but uh but i'm so glad to see basketball back at at uh, freedom hall because it's just such a great basketball venue it's just it's small but it's it's so exciting i think to see i haven't been to a Bellman game year that did they they put a, what about eight to ten thousand fans in there how yeah, they, many people they, they put a good they put a good crowd in there and and uh and being successful like they are it's uh
1: I mean, they won their conference tournament. Yeah, had a great year and weren't even. I would love to see that eventually they get to a
2: point where they're packing that gym. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was talking. That's why I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, and obviously you think it's the right thing too, but it's just good. It for so many years it sat and didn't get used, and it was a travesty in basketball. It's such a great place to play.
1: Speaking of Freedom Hall, Bryant, I remember watching the game of yours, and I can't remember who it was, but you were having a great game. I think it was when you were still a walk on and you hadn't <laughs> earned a scholarship yet. And I remember Dick Vitale was one of the commentators, and you That's were playing a great game, and there he is. Give him a scholarship, baby. Give him a scholarship, Coach think it was Coach Cincinnati, P. wasn't it? It was, a great, it was a great game. That's my Dick Vitale impersonation, by the <laughs> way. But I was going to ask you real quick, what was that like, like coming from and transitioning from being a walk-on on the team to then earning your scholarship? Because you had people that were supporting you, obviously. I mean, Dick Vitale saying Coach Patino, Give him a scholarship. Like, What was that like earning that? How did that feel?
2: The first year was the hardest because when I first agreed to walk on, my own high school coach said, it's a mistake. You'll never play. They're just using you to recruit Dennis Coutte. Me and Dennis Coutte were best friends. Once again, he's a five-star. Top 50 in the United States. Brian, if they really wanted you, they'd give you a scholarship. They know you and Dennis are best friends. If they get you, they get Coutte. They're just using you. So my dad was like, "Hey, you made a mistake. You should have went to Moorhead. Some of my friends and my friends' parents were like, "You know what? You're just not good enough to play at U of L." And you kind of hear that enough. You almost start to believe it. But I get in practice. You're in your own head. But I'm like, "How do I? How do I fit in? How do I get here?" I'm picking guys up full court and open gyms. The guy you can ask any of my old teammates. They're like, "He was crazy." I would literally pick guys up full court and open gyms. Um, you know, you just do, try to do all the little things. You're diving on the floor for loose balls. You're taking charges. You're getting to the gym early. You're staying late. And I played in every game as a freshman, and I became the first walk-on to ever start for Coach Crum. And the reason I did that was because we were shooting like 60% from the free throw line as a team, and Coach Crum said, you know what, I'm tired of you guys missing free throws. Whoever can make two free throws in a row, you can start. Marcus Maven goes up, who's our leading scorer. He misses the first one. He's out. Reese Gaines goes up, he misses. This guy goes up, he makes two. This guy goes up, he misses one. I go up and I make two. I didn't think coach would hold to that. I ended up starting against Western Kentucky and I became the first walk-on in 30 years on a crumb to ever start. Wow. So my freshman year went okay. I, I scored about 100 points as a freshman, as a walk-on. I played in all the games, started one, scored double figures five times as a walk-on freshman. So I was content with that, but I wanted more. Coach Patino comes in and once again, the, the the kind of the naysayers come in he'll, he won't keep you he'll cut you he doesn't keep walk-ons you're not good enough to play for coach patino and i started the final 10 games of the season i averaged seven points as a sophomore walk-on i had two games over 20 and i think i had 13 games in double figures so i kind of proved that i belonged i could play at that level and carlos hurt our mcdonald's all-american playing guard who had injuries all year gets kicked off the team coach calls me in for a meeting and he basically offers me carlos his uh scholarship. And I always tell people, I felt like uh, in a part, I think he wanted me to say yes, but in a part, I really felt like he wanted me to say no, because it wasn't a slam dunk. Like, Hey, I want you, you're going to be on scholarship where, you know, you're my guy going forward. It was, Hey, you're going to be a part of this team, but you're not going to be a star. You're not going to be a starter. You're going to be a role guy. If you want to be a star, if you want to shoot a lot of shots and play a ton of minutes, you need to go to like Moorhead or Murray. You need a transfer. But if you're okay playing a role, then you have a spot here and I'm going to offer you a scholarship. And for me, it was a no brainer. I said, coach, I'm going to take the scholarship. I'm staying here. Whatever role you want me to be, I'll do it. Whatever you say, I'll do it. I just want to be a cardinal for life. And, you know, that started the process. And for me, that was kind of all of my dreams, all of my hard work, just being rewarded for believing in myself and sticking with it. And I was just on cloud nine, you know, being on scholarship at my dream school. I grew up a Louisville fan. You know, my family's from Louisville, Kentucky. So um, it meant a a lot to me to finally be a scholarship guy versus being a walker. Even though I played as a walker, it just meant more.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's such a great accomplishment. But what game was it? Was it Cincinnati that, uh, that Dickie B was going crazy on? Was that the one to highlight? I,
2: I, you know what? I'm not sure. Um, it's so were funny three, because he's left right. or five of our games. And I was yeah. a huge Dickie V fan. And it was so funny. This is a funny thing. And I wonder how often this happens. He comes up to me before a game. We have a home game. Dickie V's there. And he goes, hey, which one is Reese Gaines, baby? Point him out to me. Which one is Reese Gaines? And I was like, you don't know who Reese Gaines is? <laughs> and I point him out. I'm like, Mr. Votel, that's Reese Gaines. He's like, all right, thank you. And then he goes up and he's like, Reese, Reese. And he's acting like he knows Reese. He's like, Reese. And I'm like. Reese, I had to point him. I had to point you out to him. He didn't even know who you were. But um, against Kentucky, my sophomore year, they had Tayshawn Prince. I got player of the game and I was a walk on. So I had 10 points and we got blown out. But they do a Chevrolet scholarship player of the game, Uh, both teams. Tayshawn got it for Kentucky and I got it for Louisville and I was still a walk on. But he gave me some good compliments that game. But I don't remember what game it was that he said give him a scholarship. But um, I appreciate uh, Dick Vitale for saying that.
1: <laughs> well, I I definitely remember because I remember playing for you and just talking to you. you. You were showing me stuff from your time there, and I saw that video. And Dick Vitale was saying it. I was like, man, Bryant Bryant was that was that guy. I'm you know that. And if Dick Vitale is saying it, hey got to be true so so so
0: moving into your junior year you're playing for coach patino and you all go 25 and 7 win the conference usa tournament or your your champions of the conference usa and uh i guess that's when francisco garcia comes in is that i think that was a year and then you had another transfer marvin stone was he a uk marvin
2: was a really unique transfer because he came from kentucky right and we kind of thought you know that he was going to be the, the catalyst that put us to a championship level. Yeah, uh, We were number two in the nation my junior year. We had won 17 games in a row, guys. And we were all in cloud nine. I mean, we had beat Kentucky. We had beat IU. We had beat Tennessee. We had beat Ohio State. We had beat um, Memphis with John Calipari. Uh, we had beat Dwayne Wade and uh, Tom Crane at Marquette. I mean, we had beat some the conference USA was really good that year, right? We had beat some good teams and some uh, some really talented players, and then we hit this wall. We lost like four or five games in a row. So, at this point, I mean, we dropped out of the top 25. So, we went from number 2 to out of the top 25, and then we rallied back and we won the Conference USA tournament at Freedom Hall and we get a four seed. So, that was really kind of a roller coaster ride, but I mean, at one time we were a 1 seed. And then we just hit that rough patch right before the conference tournament. Yeah. That's why I watch some of these teams now, like IU hit some losing streaks, UofL, and I watch it and I'm like, man, I've been there. I know how rough it is. I know when you hear the fans talking, the coaches are so angry and mad. They feel like their job's on the line or they're frustrated. And you feel it at practice. You feel the pressure. Everything's a curse word. Every, you know, everything, every mistake you do is magnified times 10. The pressure is there. The players, you can feel it. You know, you're trying to go to class and make grades and then you come into practice and it's, I mean, it's just about winning and being great. And you feel that pressure because these p- people, these coaches, they're making millions of dollars to be successful and to be great. And you stand, and 18 to 22-year-old kids stand in the way of that job or their success. So they put the pressure on you, man, and, and, and it's tough. That's why a lot of kids transfer, a lot of kids leave, a lot of kids quit because they can't handle the criticism, the scrutinization, they can't handle the pressure.
1: Well, you just mentioned a lot of good uh, teams that you played, big wins before you hit the rough patch that year. And Dwayne Wade, you you said you guys played him. And that just made me think, was the, if you had to say, like, who's the best player that you played against? Wow. I mean, Dwayne really,
2: Wade is hands down the best player, but Tayshaun Prince is second. So those are the two best players uh, I ever played against in, in college um, was Dwayne Wade, and Tayshon Prince. And Dwayne Wade only played at Marquette for two years. So mm-hmm. he was just different, man. He had another gear. He had another level of athleticism. He was just a winner. Um, that team was really tough to beat. Tom Crane, I mean, he put Tom Crane on the map, or you can say Tom Crane put Dwayne Wade on the map. They both coexisted and needed each other, but they both made each other, I felt like, what they are. And that we beat, I beat Marquette one time my entire three years at UofL, and we beat UK one time in three years at U of L. So those were two teams and like I said, Prince and, and Wade were they were just different, man. I never knew they would have got to the greatness that they got to, but even at that, that time and looking back now, they were different. Nobody I played against was
1: as good as those guys. Yeah. And Tayshawn Prince, he was at Kentucky? Yes. Is that right? So what was So you're that? a little
2: young to remember him. He was six nine, like one ninety,
1: could he shoot was, the three, standard, could block dude.
2: shots, could dunk on you. Yeah. Um I don't I don't even really know <laughs> He was kind of like a Kevin Durant, Durant before Kevin Durant. Like he was six nine, six ten, and could shoot shoot the ball, shoot the hell out of it. Um, he could defend, he could rebound. He was probably top three or four best players in
0: college basketball. He was the real deal. I tell you who he reminded me of was a uh, a better version of Jalen Rose. Uh, yeah, just he, he the same type of smoothness to his game. He played above the rim, and he he was a, such a catalyst on that Kentucky team. And uh, you know I was that was. That was that was they were loaded, and uh, for you all to beat them
1: that year was amazing. And uh, what I got a quick question for you though. <laughs> well, well, real quick, real quick. Since we're on Kentucky, I'm sorry, I just I didn't mean to cut off, but okay. I just have to ask Bryant, how much pressure is on that Louisville Kentucky game as a player? Pressure. It's a
2: ton of pressure, and you know what's crazy is they they coach you into telling the media that it's not. So I remember before you play UK, the coaches will tell you, hey, when the, when when the media talks to you. Just tell them it's another game. Just tell them it's this. So there's a level of them trying to convince, you know, they want you to pretend that it's just another game. And I always wanted to to, to just be honest and say, look, it's not another game. This is – that game, especially for fans, if you beat Kentucky, I feel like even if you lose 15 games in a season, as long as you beat Kentucky, the fans are okay. Love That's them. the biggest game on the schedule. It's right. the biggest game for Louisville fans. And being, a, being from this area, that was my favorite game of the year.
0: I asked, I asked Maurice Creek uh, last week on, on our first podcast there, and I asked him about the Kentucky-IU series being discontinued and even Kentucky – I mean, in the Indiana and UofL. I, I think those are two rivals that should be picked back up, whether you have to do it on neutral court or whatever, or, or home and home. Uh, I think those are just such – in this area here – this metropolitan area, that, those are three teams that should all be playing each other, in my opinion. What, what's your take on that?
2: Don't you think that spoiled coaches? I heard Kalapari had the power to, to get the series going again between Kentucky and Indiana, but he's still bitter about the Christian Walker three, Wofford so it unless it's on that a neutral site.
0: Yep, that. Yeah, them. just play the game. He said, "No more home and homes." Because if Watford doesn't hit that shot, that doesn't that, that conversation probably doesn't. Right. Happen.
2: They would still be playing, but he's still mad about the Christian Watford three. Right.
0: But you know, it's hard to win in Rupp too. I mean, it's not easy to win there either. So, I mean, if you you know you have to you have to go to Assembly Hall, you have to go to Rupp Arena. But what, t- tell me the last thing I'm going to go and then uh, we Will get back on track. But I had a question for you going through your junior year as a coach. I always look at this freshman year, 61% free throw percentage, Bryant Northern. Sophomore year, you're up to sixty-eight percent. Junior year, you know what your free throw percentage went to? Was it ninety? Ninety-three percent. What did you do between that those first two years to that year? I mean, that's that's a big jump. And that's well, cl- my junior that's year, I
2: didn't shoot a ton. It's easy to it's easy to hit ninety-three percent if you only shoot like fifteen or sixteen. I shot a lot of perimeter shots. I didn't get to the foul line a lot. Gotcha. So that 93% looks amazing, but I didn't shoot a ton. So I'm going to be honest there. I didn't shoot a bunch. <laughs> 14 to 15. But I think as a freshman, right. I'm really <laughs> immature, and I'm nervous. I'm 18 years old playing in front of 15, 16,000 fans. Right. And, you know, you, you get up on that free throw line, all eyes are on you. And you're nervous. You know, you're a young 18-year-old kid. And I was just very immature. By my junior year, I just put in a lot more work. I'd grown up a lot and matured. Yeah. And it was just it was, I just it was an amazing I,
0: stat. That's an amazing stat to see that. I love it. I'm
2: very proud of it. I just wish I had shot more so that stat would mean a little more. But I, I don't I think I only shot what fifteen free throws that year.
0: Yeah, it was 14 and 15. But I, I've heard I've seen cause you coach with me for years. how many times did you tell players that were perimeter shooters? Probably will even go, go manufacture some points. Get to the cup, get, get let's manufacture some, quit quit hanging outside all the time and shooting. Let's go get some free throws. And get your, get yourself going, and I've I've heard you say that quite a few times. So, I mean, you, you sat here and just said the exact same reason you shot you sat outside and shot too much. But you're a good shooter, though. I mean, you, you were a, you know mid thirties uh, three point shooter at a high a very very high level, and I mean you know that that's nothing to snub at either. So,
1: but well, the, well then going from there, I'm and sorry no, I'm going to right cut there. you off again. But going from there, Bryant. So I know later after your career you've been getting to some coaching and some training and whatnot but right after your Louisville career after your three years did you play anywhere else I did
2: the ABA I did a league called uh, the ABA um, it was before the G League so there was no uh, developmental league there was no G League you had the ABA or the CBA and back then the CBA was the best league to get to the NBA so they created an ABA team in Kentucky called the Kentucky Colonels. And it was a reboot from the original ABA, the Dr. J Days. They had took Luke Whitehead from Louisville, Antoine Barber from Kentucky, Anthony Epps from Kentucky. We had a kid from Syracuse named Jeremy McNeil who won a national championship with Carmelo. And we put together Jamario Moon, who played for the Cavs. And we had a pretty good team. I did that for a year. Um, and, I, and people have to understand, the reason it's called semi-pro, when you get paid to do something, you're professional. But we call it semi-pro because the league doesn't last long enough or you don't make enough money to only do that. I, I think I made five twenty-five dollars a week, and the league lasts for like three or four months. And when that's over, you you got to get another job. So when when you say semi-pro, it's professional for a short term, but it's not enough money to support yourself for the whole year. So when it's over, you're looking for something else. But I did the ABA for one year. I took another year or two off, and then I did the CBA in I think 07. And that was, I think, the around the first time that the G League was had been around. So we were, I think, the NBA had started its developmental league, and then the CBA still existed, and players could still play out of the CBA. And that was another team out of Kentucky called the uh, East Kentucky Miners out of Parkville.
1: I have heard of that East East um, Kentucky Miners team before. Um, But I wanted to ask, did you have any like other um, ideas or options, or I guess opportunities to play overseas? Uh, I did.
2: So I had an agent and he was from Kentucky and I had a chance to go to Ireland. I was going to play in the second division. And he was telling me, he was like, Hey, you're going to make right under 4,000 a month. It was going to be 36 to 3,800 a month. And at the time that was good money. Uh, You know, I didn't average 20 points a game. I wasn't a household name. So, you know, to make three, four grand a month at that time was decent. And I remember I had my son, Brandon, who's now 18. He was about two or three years old. And his mom goes, when you come back, because we weren't together, she goes, well, he remember you. you're going to be gone for eight or nine months. And when you come back, is he going to remember you? And I thought, I can't go. It was more important for me to be a dad and an active dad than for me to go play basketball. And I told my agent, I said, I can't go. I have to be here for my son. And he goes, well, I'm done. I'm never going to help you again. I'm never going to be your agent again. If you don't go play now, your career is over. You're getting at the age where you're going to be considered an older guy. They're going to take these young guys. You either have to take this now, and your career is done. And at that point, I basically retired. I never played another professional game or, or league again in my life.
1: Well, that would be that would be a hard, I mean, choice to make. Obviously, you just it. I mean, you just ran through it. I mean, family is everything, as you just said. So and and speak, that would be a tough one. And speaking of sure. family,
0: t- talk about talk about what's going on in your life now. And, and uh, speaking of Brandon, he's had a lot of success at the basketball at the game of basketball and stuff. So talk about that a little bit and what you're, what you're into now.
2: Well, um, I'm now I'm 40. Um, I'm a professional basketball trainer. I train young kids all the way from the ages of six all the way up to high school and even college. I, I work with some guys who come back from college or even overseas or whatnot. Um, don't have any players in the NBA, but I have overseas guys and some college guys that, that still train with me and, and come back and see me in the summer. But I've been doing that for four years now. Uh, My son is 18. He's a senior at Silver Creek High School. He was blessed enough to win two state titles. He played with two really good big men, one's at Purdue, one's at Toledo. They were both Indiana All-Stars. And then my son's currently an Indiana All-Star this year. He uh, he finished third all-time in scoring at Silver Creek and number one all-time in assists, which I I don't know if it'll ever be broken. He had over 520 assists for his career and over 1,400 points for basketball. So... He had a pretty good career. And uh, one of the most common questions people ask me is, is, is he better than me? And for about a year or two, I always said yes because I thought it was going to help his recruiting if people thought he was better than me. But now that he's already kind of picked his school and his, his high school career is over, I can be more honest. No, he wasn't. A, he wasn't
1: <laughs> so I was a little more I athletic. And I think too. I was a
2: more consistent shooter. He, yeah. Now, he's had more success than me. If you, if you compare stats or wins and his accolades, then, yeah, he, he – he beats me in that category, but well, you're the I goat. Count, you're I The goat I'm in the northern family. Athlete. Hey, well, what'd I- you say,
0: coach? I said you're the goat
2: in the northern family. <laughs> He's gonna say he is, but I, I think I'm the best in, my, in our family.
1: Well, once we post this podcast, I'll be sure to tag Brandon Northern so that he can see that. So, well, <laughs> so one second,
0: so so let's let's get this out here. What do y'all play one on one? We we really don't anymore. When he
2: hit about 16, he got a little bit too fast for me. And then when he got about 17, I couldn't back him down anymore. He was too strong. Because right now he benches 270. So I can't just back him down and muscle him. And he's too fast for me now. Yeah. So, I mean, he's 18 and I'm 40. So this isn't prom dad, you know. He, <laughs> If I, you know, at 30, eight, 18-year-old Brandon versus 30-year-old me, I, I could still beat him. But I'm just, I've gotten too slow for him. Well, now, I know so. you
1: said that you still do some training. Um, that's, that's the main thing that you're doing now. Yeah. Um, do you have anything like coming up that you want to get word out for, kind of let people well, know? we're
2: working up? on a Cooper, Jacoby, and Brandon Northern basketball camp. With the name, image, and likeness, um, college guys can make money. We want to do. We're going to do a camp at Silver Creek, a one or two day camp, kind of get back to the community, get some sponsorship, and have those guys work with the. You know, it doesn't have to be Silver Creek kids, but it will be at Silver Creek. That's a project I have coming up. Um, I have a Memorial Day camp coming up at my gym, but other than that. I'm training daily, weekly. I work with different kids in the community. I have a couple camps coming up. Other than that, I train daily. I train uh, seven days a week. So when I say I'm a full-time trainer, I literally train every day. Some days it might only be for three or four hours, but I'm in the gym as often as possible, probably 330, 340 days of the year.
1: Just to round it up, we got the free throw stat. We have the turnover stat, whether it was seven maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. We'll confirm. We will get another stat for the next episode. And with that being said, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. But Brian, it was awesome having you again. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Um, We're really looking forward to having you on the next one. Yeah.
0: Thanks, B Nord. Love you, man. I appreciate you guys from the Browns. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Brian.
1: Thanks again for listening to Blue Buds Hoops. We hope that you enjoyed this latest episode as much as we did. If you could please leave us a review and a five-star rating. We also want to take this chance to thank our title sponsor, Jack Brown Videography. If you are currently in the Louisville, Kentucky or Southern Indiana area, be sure to check them out and hit them up for all of your videography needs.